The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. People enjoy putting labels on things. It seems to make things simpler. This is especially the case when you say that you are a photographer, you're a wedding photographer, or a portrait photographer, or a landscape photographer. If you try to explain it's really about practicing a way of seeing the world, you get this glazed look in their eyes. Because even with photographers who are known for a particular genre or body of work, they are often practicing a way of seeing that's applicable for any genre of photography. That's the case with photographer Laura Panic, who applies the sensibility of a street photographer to her work as a portrait photographer. Laura's work is beautiful, not only for how she works with available light and her subjects, but because she's open to the unexpected surprises that the world has to offer. All right, well, Laura, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to, to have you join us. Thank you for having me. Lovely work. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't say enough about how much I love your portraits. As simple as they are in terms of their overall composition, I'm always struck by how, how drawn into I, uh, into those images. And one of the things that you've talked about in other interviews is about striving for intimacy and vulnerability in, mm-hmm. in, in the portraits. And I, I want to start there. Why is that capturing a sense of vulnerability so important to you? I think when I talk about vulnerability, I mean it on both sides. I think I need to be mm-hmm. vulnerable. And um, it's not that I want to make my subject uncomfortable. I actually just want the portrait to be a real experience. I don't want it to be a portrayal of several masks or the idea that, you know, this person feels like they have to portray something that they're not. When I take a portrait, it's not about creating a different character. It's more about, I guess, kind of like experiencing the idea of taking a portrait. It's kind of, you know, having a portrait taken is a very special opportunity. It's a very special moment. And I think in the right circumstances, that intimacy can be formed. And I think when people let their guard down and they allow themselves to be vulnerable, it's a much more powerful experience for both people. And how do you lead up to that moment with your with your subjects? Do you try to engage them before you start making the photographs so that they're not giving you this sort of posed or forced uh, expression or body language? It's really different, obviously, with each image. And, you know, um, not every picture I take is within my control. For example, I might be on an assignment and I might have restrictions or, you know, somebody may not want me to photograph them in a certain way or my creative creative ideas might be shot down so it's really really dependent but um i guess the most important thing is trying to be patient which i'm not apart from weirdly with portraiture well not all the time but sometimes <laughs> and also just listening to people um and asking asking questions you know i'm fascinated in people and in order to take a picture i have to be interested in somebody so if i don't know somebody i kind of need to ask questions to find out how we relate how we communicate and how we connect 
you photograph a lot of strangers. Do you find that that is probably the time that you're having the most fun? Because you mentioned sort of restrictions that you have when you're doing, you know, more assignment work. I think so. I mean, I'm very, I'm the kind of person that I thrive off chance and I thrive off unpredictability. I can at times be a complete control freak like all of us. But, you know, um, when you're photographing a stranger, the unpredictable kind of elements are just all there. And not only that, you know, is the idea that it's a very intense experience because you have kind of no indicators as to this person. Everything that you're learning about them is within, you know, the experience of taking their portrait, whether that be the chat before or the chat during or, you know, the way they're standing or whatever it is, you know, it's kind of, um, it's an all-encompassing, quite intense experience. And I, I think it's just wonderful that a camera can invite you into somebody's world and somebody's life. And that you can just share this moment that you wouldn't normally, you know, walking down the street and you can completely alter both of your days and then forever have captured that. So, yeah, I definitely prefer photographing strangers. And I've, I really struggled to photograph people that I love or that are very close to me as well. I don't know if it's that I'm less sort of intrigued to unravel them. I don't know what it is. But um, well, that's, yeah. that's what you started off with, wasn't it? People that you knew? Um, no, no. I first started with people that I didn't know. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I first started photographing photographers and then I kind of went on to just photograph strangers, which were teenagers that I kind of found on the street or through pupil referral units or schools or youth clubs. So I've never really photographed people that I've known very well. I've got the occasional shot of my sister or, you know, a friend here and there. But um, yeah, predominantly it's actually just people I don't know. I want to get back to this um, this idea of vulnerability on your part as the photographer. Mm-hmm. Usually when it comes to portrait photography, there's this, this this concept about the photographer being in control, that it is his or her, his or hers image, and that that it's all about being in complete control over the, the situation. And I'm really curious in terms of how your own vulnerability sort of fits into that whole concept of being in control over not just the camera, but the shooting session. I, I guess there's kind of two answers to that. One would be that a lot of the people that I photograph are part of groups or societies or clubs that I'm very outside of. So I'm kind of the vulnerable person within the fact that I just, I don't fit in. Mm. So for example, I've been photographing um, Hasidic Jewish women for quite a long time now, many years, about seven years. And you know, although I am Jewish myself, I, I do not, I'm definitely an outsider within those circumstances. And that makes me very vulnerable because it makes me, you know, it puts me in a position that I feel very uncomfortable with. I'm kind of the black sheep. And, you know, that's not because those people are making me feel unwelcome. It's just fact. Or, you know, when I was photographing young British naturists, you know, although I wanted to understand that vulnerability and, and I wanted to understand that concept and, and that pleasure, that, that kind of experience in itself and that why people found it pleasurable is was still outside of my own interests. It still wasn't something that I was familiar or comfortable with. And then I guess the other answer is that I think it's really important in order to be able to photograph somebody to understand what they're experiencing. So for example, I hope that when I photograph somebody, I try and sort of do things before they do them. So for example, if I want to photograph somebody in a muddy lake, I will try and jump in that muddy lake and say, hey, would you mind doing this? Hmm. I don't really want to subject my, you know, the people that I'm, that I'm photographing to anything that I wouldn't do myself, I guess. 
Was there a particular shoot or a project where you kind of discovered that, that, that this was something that was going to be part of your process? Because you're, you're able to describe it pretty clearly and eloquently right now. But was there a time where it came to your awareness just as a result of the work that you were doing? I think it was just a very simple idea that I always found it so bizarre that people didn't want their picture taken. And I started thinking about why. I started thinking, you know, what is so offensive, embarrassing or inconvenient about having your picture taken? Because it's almost like going to the dentist. Everyone just has this kind of barrier up and they just like sort of immediately say no. And I thought, well, you know, if you want to take somebody's picture, the first thing you have to do is you have to empathize as to why they're saying no. And then I started thinking about the fact that, you know, if you want to form a bond with somebody, you have to be on an equal playing field. You have to understand each other and you have to have that level of respect for each other. And then I guess lastly, it was, you know, with the longer term projects, it it grew from a place where I simply just wanted to understand my subjects. And I didn't, you know, I knew that coming from the outside and no matter how many, even if I studied, you know, living within a community or, or, you know, I spent hours and weeks and months and years with the people that I'm photographing, I'm never going to be able to understand them as much as they understand themselves. So I think it's just really important for me to be able to show that I'm aware of my own ignorance and and that actually I just want to learn and, and I want to respect them. And I, I hope that they realize that, you know, I, I want to kind of involve them in the process rather than it just be a kind of hunt and shoot kind of practice, I guess. And that's not a criticism on any other type of photography because I don't think I'm the only photographer to work like that. I think most photographers do. But perhaps I'm just very drawn to the idea of the psychology of it. And I often play with that. In the video that I watch where you talk about sort of getting lost, which I love. I'm a, I'm a street photographer myself. So the whole concept of getting lost is something that very really much appeals to me. Yeah. For me, it's part about getting lost is what I like about it is the fact when I go out to shoot is that I'm going out with no expectations. And yes. that, that in and of itself provides me a certain challenge because I'm going out with a blank slate. I don't know what I'm going to get. And the challenge for me is can I go out there and discover something and not only discover it, but capture it in a way that provides me not only sort of a, a pleasing aesthetic image, but one that makes me feel like I really was challenging the way that I see. And that for yes. me is a successful day. And I was wondering whether your experience is sort of analogous to that. I think a lot of that practice within itself is actually not taking pictures. It's looking at something going, mm, actually, that doesn't need photographing or I just want to experience that. And I think it's about the search as well. You know, one reason I work so much in the UK and I always have is because I just didn't want to run away to somewhere that was alien and new and just find it inspiring and capture it because I knew that would almost not be much of a challenge or it would be a challenge, but it's a different kind of challenge. And I think that I wanted to look at the banality of kind of what I'm familiar with and look at the kind of world around me that I naturally know and kind of take advantage of that knowledge and really learn from that as well. Yeah, I guess my expectations differ from day to day and, and the adventures and getting lost are kind of there for different reasons as well. Sometimes I just need to get out of the house, whereas other times I'm, you know, I'm really kind of drawn to a certain place or other times it will be with somebody who I really want to spend time with. I enjoy that element of kind of searching and, and kind of wanting to see and experience something different, I guess. Does much of your personal work involve you just like leaving your, leaving your flat and then going out and discovering or do you 
drive or take the train to a certain place and, and just go, uh, I want to go here and discover and see what I can discover? Or do you try to... My work is kind of divided. Um, it's divided between projects that are just hours and hours of really boring, sitting in front of a computer, research, making calls, looking at maps, that kind of thing. It's not really boring, but it's it's not as fun as going out and taking pictures. Then the other side of it is, you know, like you said, just kind of getting to a train station, closing your eyes, pressing a button and seeing where you end up or, you know, you know, entering into some, like the last place I went, I just entered into Google, you know, the poorest town in London or whatever. And I was like, maybe I'll just go there and see what it's like, you know? So it was, it's kind of having a rough idea of where you're going, but actually um, with the idea that there's no pressure on that, especially if we, you're with somebody else, it's kind of born out of the idea of annoyingly sometimes convenient factors if i'm shooting in the winter i know that i'm you know if i'm going to drive four hours or whatever then i need to stay overnight somewhere whereas if i've only got a day then i need to stick to kind of the perimeters of london but yeah i think um i think you need that well i definitely need that yin and that yang because i would find it non-productive if i just went out every day on adventures and i probably wouldn't learn as much as you know, if I balanced the two and did a bit of research now and again as well. Uh, with respect to your early work, when you were uh, taking photographs of, of young adults, I, I think I, I read that someone else observed that you were taking a lot of pictures of young of young people. Yeah, and you may not have been conscious of it, but that at some point you you did purposely seek them out. Tell me about the evolution of that, because. As you just said, some of the things that you photograph, you'll do research into, like with the nature arrest, you'll, you'll work on creating the opportunity to photograph it. But with the earlier work, it seems like it sort of evolved sort of or, or organically. And I'm just, I'm, I'm curious to hear how you were coming up with projects back then as compared to now. Well, I think back then I had the structure and the discipline of a degree course. I was at Brighton University and we were expected to come up with projects and ideas. And we were encouraged to kind of um, follow those through with research and access. And I think because I chose young people, that gave me the kind of like instant I guess ball ache is the easiest way to say it, of knowing that I needed to go through model release forms and parental guidance and all that kind of stuff. So actually, although kind of it was born out of a very organic desire to just really concentrate on the idea of adolescence and this transitioning period, I actually still had to go through those kind of like red tape, boring kind of, yeah, admin based stuff a lot of the time as well. I think that I, I guess my kind of my projects change constantly. You know, the latest work is very much not a noun in location project. And it's not a simple kind of research and, you know, follow a group or meet a group or um, work with a an NGO or, or a charity or whatever. It's it, it really evolves and kind of, I don't really like to put too much I don't like to put barriers around the idea of how I work, if that makes sense. Sometimes, for example, with the Young Love Project, when I was shooting it, I was working with some couples for like years, you know, and I'd go back and we'd meet up every weekend or whatever. And I'd take them out, we'd go bowling and then I'd, you know, take a few shots or we'd just meet up. Um, and that was a very kind of like responsive way of working. Whereas there were other couples that I met and I said, right, I have this shot in mind and I've sketched it all out and I know exactly where I want it and what time I want it and what time of year. So I've never had a very kind of like ordered kind of, yeah, like kind of way of, of working. And that applies to research as well. In watching the video, there's one interesting scene where you find 
a wall with uh, with some text on it. And you seem yeah. to make down a note. And then you find some young girls in a salon. And then I guess yeah. you pull them out. But it looks like you, you found the setting first. You, and you noted it. And then you were on the hunt for someone to photograph in front of it. Was that, did I read that correctly? I think so. But I think like that was just also kind of born out of the fact that I, I had to take a picture. You know, during that video, it was great. But um mm-hmm. I think that, you know, for the purpose of the video, I couldn't really just walk around all day and not take any pictures, even though kind of part of me wanted to, because I, I tend to only take pictures when I'm really inspired when I see something. But actually, you know, I don't always do that. I don't always look for a location, then find a subject or find a subject and then look for a location, because actually sometimes that kind of stops you seeing other things or it stops you photographing things in different ways, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, otherwise I'd probably end up with just the same kind of images all the time. And for me, I'd, I'd quite like to kind of experiment with shooting indoors, shooting outdoors or speaking to people and asking where they want to be shot and, and kind of keeping my, my options open. But within that instance, I just kind of I thought, hey, this is around the corner. This is a nice setting. These kind of things could pair together. So, yeah, what about you when you're going out? Do you kind of do a similar thing or how do you kind of work? Sometimes I'll, I'll be out there and I'll, I'll, as I said before, I'll go out with a blank slate and then I'll just start observing light will be the first thing that I'll do. I'll just look, where's the yeah. light? What's the quality of the light? And that will kind of dictate where I'll, where I'll walk. Yeah. Right. I won't walk on the sunny uh, shade side of the street. I'll go on the sunny side of the street. Yeah. I'll see where the shadows are falling. And then I start looking at the setting. And sometimes I'll just wait for something to happen in that space. Or if I think it would make a great portrait, I'll just hunt for a portrait subject and ask them whether they could pose for me. And I already have an idea in terms of the light and the background and the foreground where I would where I would want to place them. So that's the way it usually works for me. Did you ever sort of like just stay in one spot for like hours waiting I'm, yeah, for like yeah. I, I'm notorious for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I yeah people. I, I just tell people you'll find me here until I yeah. get what I want. I'll stay here. Is that the same for you? Yeah. Well, at one point, I think I wanted to kind of. I remember going on one walk and I was like. I just ended up taking loads of pictures of interesting spots I'd found where people had just never turned up. <laughs> it's just like, there's nobody here. It's often, yeah, such a bitch when that happens, when you kind of, you find like a really beautiful piece of light or backdrop and then there's just nobody around or anybody that is around. It's just not, you know, you're like, mm, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite work. So yeah, it's quite interesting. <laughs> you said something interesting earlier about not wanting to re- repeat yourself when you're out, that you just don't want to make the same kind of picture that you made before. Yeah. But when you're out there and, you know, th- there's the pressure of wanting to create something. So how do you sort of, and especially because you're, you're working with film and so you only have so many exposures on your, on your camera. So you have to be very conscious of that, mm-hmm. that you have only so many opportunities to make a photograph. So how do you sort of discern, okay, I can make this picture merely because I'm feeling like I need to make a photograph or simply waiting for the opportunity that you know is really going to push you photographically? I think the main factor that that depends on is if I'm with somebody or not. So if I'm with another person, I tend to just not take the picture because I'm like, actually, I'm just having a nice walk anyway. And there's kind of no loss. Whereas if I'm on my own, I kind of weigh it up. I'm like, shall I wait? 
shall I, do you know what I mean? It's kind mm-hmm. of, it's that kind of, um, it's more a circumstantial decision. And it's also about kind of, you know, how precious it is for me to take a picture and how much I regret it. I kind of think of it like shopping. It's kind of like, do I just buy it and take it back and or bung it in my cupboard and forget about it and not worry about it? Or, you know, do I go home empty handed knowing that was the right decision? So yeah, I think it's just a circumstantial thing, like a mood thing to be honest with you. But I think that over the years, I've tried to apply less pressure to actually taking pictures. I think I used to, when I start, first started photography, I would just shoot, 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 shoot. I'm talking about sort of, you know, 15 years ago and I used to kind of go out with a Pentax in black and white and just shoot everything that captured me. And now I'm, I'm much more selective, I think. Do you find that because you're shooting medium format film that that really is conducive to that, that whole approach? I think it just comes down to more the actual time that it takes to focus mm-hmm. rather than being precious about the film. Just like with shopping, I don't really think about it. Okay. <laughs> I just spend the money or shoot the film. Yeah, I don't. I, I think of like the fact that, you know, pretty much all my money goes on my photography. So I don't really, for me, like it's the best way to spend money. So if it's wasted on an image that I'll look back at and regret, I'll just think to myself, well, at least I'll never take that shot again or at least I'll learn that the light was not what I thought it was or, you know, I kind of, um, I try to think that even if I've taken a bad picture, it really, it's not the end of the world. Your, your dad was uh, a photographer. Was he a professional? Was he an enthusiast? Yeah, he still is. Um, he's a very, um, he was like a fashion photographer. Whenever I see him, we kind of, at the moment, we, uh, we just hang out in the dark room. He, um, he was born from a, a very analog based era and uh, we didn't actually really start kind of I guess doing photography together until probably in the last year or so um, maybe less but um, what's funny is he said to me the other day he said that we're completely different types of photographers we're like we're polar opposites he's very good at making people look good and really kind of working on the exterior and the beauty and the fashion side of the subject and kind of creating this this fantasy and this illusion and I'm very much more about seeing within inside the person Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's quite it's quite fascinating, and I think that definitely kind of growing up with the smell of the dark room and tipping the trays and kind of you know seeing my dad work around it. You know, whenever I saw him, it was pretty much in the studio or the dark room. I think that definitely like brings back a lot of fond memories and nostalgia. But interestingly enough, like I didn't really pick up a camera until I was about twenty one, and we weren't like we we weren't sort of very close then. I didn't really see him very much. And I think it actually, my, my love of photography actually came uh, more from kind of painting and, and my mum's very creative as well. So I come from a very creative kind of family. And I think I just realized that photography was much quicker than painting. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I found the very same thing. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And my room absolutely stank of oils, but then the oils turned to dev. And I remember just, yeah, I just remember shooting and just thinking, oh my God, this is so addictive. It was almost just, yeah, like I kind of just fell in love. It was a really very, very lucky thing to find. The, very, very lucky. The, the quality of the photographs that you make are just so beautiful, especially the, the, the light. And I know you largely use available light, but could you talk a little bit about what you're looking for with the sort of the quality of light and what, if anything, you use to maybe modify or control it when you can? Yeah, I think like um, I've always been incredibly instinctive and the controlling side of me like really I love the idea of using natural light because I feel some not always but sometimes I feel in control of it I feel like I'm, I'm dancing with it and it's really nice and it's kind of like this like we're coming together and we're kind of like creating something and 
I don't know. I remember like my dad said to me once when, when I was little, he kind of tried to explain his job to me and he was saying, well, it's just painting with light. And, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you look over there, that's two stops darker than that. And obviously I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. And I remember thinking that he had this kind of like magic ability to see something different. And then I began to sort of learn to kind of see the world like I was seeing something when I was painting. And you'd begin to kind of look at the kind of way things were forming and, and the geometric shapes and the colours and how everything fitted together. And I, I guess with natural light, it's just this very instinctive way of working and and just trusting your instincts. I think that I have sort of a real problem trusting my instincts. <laughs> um, but when I'm creating an image, I'm incredibly decisive. And I kind of just, I'm just like, yeah, that that's where it needs to be or you know, and or you experiment and you play. And, and I think um, over the years, like when I'm doing editorial jobs or um, when I'm working with assistants, that's something that I find really fascinating as well, the way that different people see things or different. And, you know, especially when I'm the first time I'm working with somebody, I'll kind of often grab the reflector off them and move it. And they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, what, what do you mean you're sorry? You know, like mm. <laughs> I'm just seeing something different to what you're seeing. It's not like one of us is right or wrong. You kind of you can't preempt, yeah. You know how somebody paints something, I don't, and I, I think that's what I quite like about you know. I mean, art in general is that there is no right or wrong. I don't know if you get any better at it, but you definitely get to experiment and play more and kind of learn. So, um, so yeah, with natural light, I just and it's also it goes back to that idea of impatience. Like I cannot be bothered to set up those lights and you know faff around with technology, and then I don't know where it's going to go and you know, I can't see everything in front of me. And when I'm using flash, like I, I shoot with um, lights when I'm, when I'm doing commercial work, it's I actually really enjoy that way of working for that purpose. Like I like the idea of gradually building it up. But when I'm working on my personal work, a lot of it, sometimes people don't have a lot of time. And sometimes it kind of breaks that intimacy as well. When you're in a room with somebody one-to-one and then you start setting up lights, it kind of builds this artificial set. And I kind of want as... I want it to be kind of without barriers, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder how you contend with people who hire you for the commissioned work, because I, I'm sure that a lot of them, a lot of them see your personal work and are very inspired by that and want you to bring that sensibility to the job. But as you said, when you're dealing with a commissioned work, you're dealing with a lot of expectations on the client in terms of how the image is going to look and, and how does that change how you approach creating your images while still retaining that that sensibility that that makes who you who you are as a photographer i think like um i'm very lucky because i started working editorially whilst i was studying so i've kind of always had that natural balance and i didn't really see the need for there to be this kind of completely different aesthetic for one or the other it it always struck me as kind of strange that you'd sort of create one set of imagery for a client and then create your own personal work. I I think that for me, it's just about making the most of the situation. And I guess the only difference is, is that with commissioned work, you just have less time, less options. You can't sort of say, you know what, I'm not feeling this today. I'll come back another day. Or you can't say, well, the weather's crap. Let's shoot it on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So I guess like those are the main kind of difference with regards to the expectations. But I think most commissioners understand that. And I think like, for example, I spoke to somebody recently and And they said, you know, we keep hiring a lot of people and we keep saying we love your personal work and then we get the files back and they look totally different. And that does put a lot of pressure on you because, you know, you can choose which personal work you show and which you and which you hide. Whereas your commissioned work, you know, it goes, 
you know, it goes on the paper and it goes out whether you like it or not. And nine times out of 10, you're going to not like it. So I think it's about understanding the limitations, but also using that opportunity just to do the best that you can possibly do. And I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's ever been a huge problem, to be completely honest with you, because I love taking pictures. And whether that's for an editorial assignment or for an advertising campaign or whatever it is, it's still an opportunity to create something. And I understand what you're saying with regards to sometimes you do have to sacrifice a certain amount a certain element of creative control so some sometimes especially with commercial work people are going to have a very different idea of what they want than what you would have selected mm-hmm. but in another sense you know commercial work is working with a team and i don't really see it as much about me producing the image as we're producing the image so the kind of ownership of those creative ideas is taken off me and i'll always kind of suggest ideas but i think that it's more about producing something together Whereas personal work is just about doing whatever you want to do. Is that why, you know, you, that we don't see a lot of your sort of commissioning work on your site, that the, the work that we do see on your site is your vision completely? Exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, it's not that I don't love that doing that personal work, but it's, you know, as I said, it's a team effort. It's not, you know, it's not something that I've, you know, created of my own accord, you know, about a subject matter for no other reason but the fact that I wanted to do it. And also it's not, you know, when you're doing something commercial, you are selling something or you are raising awareness to something. Um, Whereas my personal work is more about kind of exploring and learning. And also, I I guess I kind of want to keep those two things very separate because they're two very different pleasures for me. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to um, an art director yesterday and he was saying, what relationship do you have with commercial work? Do you enjoy it? How do you find it? And I think, you know, like um, there's an expectation sometimes that if you do commercial work, it's just not as enjoyable as personal work. And for me, it's just enjoyable, but it's just completely different. It's just a different experience, a different animal, you know. You know, when it comes to the a couple of the projects that you work, you've worked on and are working on, like the Jewish Women series and mm-hmm. the one that you did on The Naturist, that involved not just making the photographs, but gaining access. Yeah. And t- talk to me about that part of of your process, because I think I don't hear it discussed enough. I always see some great photographs, and there's always the question of, man, how did you get access to these people? Yeah. But it seems like for you that that is a, a, a challenge that you seem to enjoy, that whole process, that it's, it's part and parcel of you actually enjoy making it. a photograph. <laughs> I don't know if I enjoy it. It's so bloody exhausting. <laughs> It's not that I enjoy it, it's that I enjoy the idea of doing something impossible. You know, mm, when, I, okay. when I first started that project, on both of them, everyone said to me, that's impossible, that's impossible. And people still say it to me now. And my mum's brought me up to be incredibly stubborn-minded. And I'm kind of like, why is it impossible? You know, why, <laughs> what is it about that that's impossible? And I, I guess it's, yeah, it's the problem solving. And it's the idea that I, I want to gain access into a world that I'm not part of and that I don't understand because I want to understand it. And I want to be surprised. And I want to connect with people that people don't normally connect with or have access to. So, I mean, with regards to like the actual logistics of that, it is... Unfortunately, a lot of it is just about rejection. And you know, the like the problem with those projects is people just don't realize how long they take. You know, they they don't realize the absolute tenacity and patience that it requires because it's just unbelievably boring and heartaching and and just 
there's just so many dead ends you know you will just meet so many people and they will just ask you to do things for them and you will do them thinking maybe this will get me a little bit closer and it never does but then when you meet somebody that understands your intentions and they trust you it kind of makes it all worth it but it's always a very delicate and emotional delicate ground to tread as well because when you're working with people who are closed off or who are particularly sensitive to exposing themselves you have to be so careful after you've taken those images of where they go so for example recently I, I won a competition and one of my images was chosen and I had a model release and and you know I, I still know the person I speak to them regularly and I just thought I just don't think this is right for them I, I, I don't think they'd feel comfortable with this and I didn't even ask them but I rang the competition I said I'm really sorry but I, I don't think I can do this so I think that's always a burden as well. It's not just the gaining access, but it's the the after effect of having those images and, and thinking about where they're going. Well, talk to me about the, the series that you did on the Jewish women, because you were photographing a community of women that, that are typically never photographed. Um, right. So how how did the idea come to, come to mind, and what did you need to do to finally gain access and the opportunity to, to photograph them? Well, I mean, I'm Jewish myself, and then I, I moved to an area that is incredibly densely populated with Jewish people, with Orthodox Jewish people. I live near Stamford Hill. And, you know, you just get the bus there, and you're like, wow, you know, this is crazy. This is like uh, such a kind of a visual spectacle of, um, of a community. And I thought, this is so bizarre, because I've grown up Jewish, you know, but I've, I've always, you know, my my family have never been religious and and it just fascinated me that i was part of the community but also so rejected from it and so outside of it and i thought i, I want to learn about this and i was walking down around with my camera and i said to this woman would you mind if i take your picture and she immediately said no and i and i thought okay she said no in a different way than most people say no mm-hmm. she was really kind of and i said would you mind me asking why and she said because your world is poison to us and, and we don't want to be part of your world. And I said, what world do you mean? And she said, your world. And I said, I, I said, but I'm Jewish. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand what you mean. And it just struck me that, like, there was something about this community that was isolating itself so much that I was clearly so unaware of and I really wanted to know why. So it just took a long time of talking to people, of volunteering, of offering, you know, anything that I could give. And, you know, it's cost me not only a lot of money, but so much of my time and so much of my patience. And I, you know, at times I have been really, you know, offended or hurt, but I just have to kind of continue it because I have to understand that, like, this is almost an impossible project, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Fascinate me. So sort of when I go to other places, I've kind of been basing it in sort of America, Israel and London. Because those, they, it's it's kind of a triangle of kind of areas that, um, yeah, that I travel in, and that also there's large Jewish communities there. Well, what was your breakthrough in, in, in to finally start being able to make the photographs? Um, it was probably just one family that I was working with, um, because although I had access to sort of many different families, um, it was one family that really let me in, and I've been photographing them for about seven years now. And I think the reason that was a breakthrough is because they're a particularly interesting family um, to me. There's almost 15 children and, you know, that's a lot in one family. So there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of personalities, there's a lot of characters. And it's just, yeah, I guess having, having the opportunity to be really like understood 
by one family kind of reassured me, I guess. And just the other women, so I'm just talking to them, you know, and then really understanding my struggle and really empathizing with that and sort of saying, you know, it is hard. I get why it's hard and you shouldn't feel that it's personal or you shouldn't feel this or you shouldn't feel that. I don't think there is a breakthrough yet because I don't think I've got enough material and it's been seven years. It's <laughs> wow. um, a challenge. But I, I still, I, I'm still learning from it. And that's the most important thing. You know, I'm still, I'm still learning how to take pictures. What, what perspective has this, this project give you, given you on your own Jewish heritage? Um, it's definitely made me realize that I'm not any closer to becoming more religious. Um, <laughs> and I knew that when I first started. Um, and like the naturist, I'm, I'm always incredibly honest with my subjects. I, you know, I said to the naturist, I'm not in search of, you know, becoming a naturist. This is not my journey into becoming a naturist. This, you know, and the same with all of the Jewish people that I've worked with. I've said, yes, I am Jewish, but I'm, I'm actually not looking to explore my Jewish heritage or, or become more religious or, but I said, I do want to understand more about it. And yeah, I, I guess that um, I'm still learning, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the community and I'm fascinated by, I guess, more kind of like the anthropological side of it and kind of how, how these people work together and how many different kind of subcultures there are and how many different forms and interpretations of the religion there are and how it's all interlinked, I guess. So, um, so it's been an interesting journey for me and there's things that I also recognize. And, and I think that if I wasn't Jewish, I probably wouldn't be as interested in it because a lot of it is kind of wound up with my memories and my associations with the things that I remember learning about, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So just example, like the, you know, the Shabbos meals and things like that. I have fond memories of things like that. So, yeah, so it's definitely like I still, I, I you know, I still see my religion as part of my identity, um, but I see it more as a, a kind of cultural aspect of who I am rather than a religious aspect. You, know, you just mentioned that this project has taken you seven years, but there are other personal projects that I do that are, are take much less time. And I'm sure that you probably have multiple ideas. So how do you sort of decide which ones to dedicate time with and which, which ones to just sort of put on the shelf? Because, you know, as you said, you're, you're doing commission work, you're making a living. And so your, your, your time is sort of finite. So how do you how do you sort of work out which ones you're going to dedicate time with, or are you you know doing several projects simultaneously? What does that look like? Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting question because I don't think I'm necessarily doing it in the right way, but I know that I'm doing it in the instinctive way of like when I'm bored of something, I put it on the shelf for a bit because I don't want to do it if it's boring to me or if it feels like an obligation. And sometimes I have to. Sometimes I have to haul myself out of my chair and be like, come on, just go and shoot that. But actually, you know, my other projects, a lot of them are really long term. Like my Romanian project has taken me over five years now. I've taken over 20 trips to Romania. I've probably plummeted about 30 grand, maybe more into it. So there are a lot of long term projects that are just on the back burner and they come down to finance, time and what else is going on kind of around me. But also the ideas and, and kind of. You know, I don't like putting pressure on projects. I don't like, I don't ever have an agenda with a project. I don't ever think I'd like to make this book or I'd like to have an exhibition of this. It's just, is this interesting to me right now? Is this relevant to me right now? Is this convenient? And do I have the money to do it? And then the shorter term projects, I guess, are just to kind of fill in those gaps to keep me, keep me motivated and make me feel productive and, and make me feel like, you know, not everything has to be long term. <laughs> Um, and I can, you know, just um, experiment with something and then let it go, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, how does the, the world of the fine art world fit into everything that you're doing? 
Um, well, I mean, I've always kind of hoped that my personal work kind of fits into that area. I think most photographers kind of consider their personal work. Yeah, I guess maybe, maybe I'm, I, don't know, I don't know. Like, it's really difficult to say, really, because I enjoy looking at art. And when it comes to kind of like my gallery representation and exhibiting work and and kind of contributing, you know, work to exhibitions, I just really enjoy that element of kind of actually contemplating the things that you've made and the ideas that you've had and having conversations about it. For me, it just feels like a much slower kind of debrief, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like when you produce something for a magazine or, you know, when you do a project and it kind of just... I don't know, goes in a publication, it's very kind of disposable in a sense and it's kind of talked about and forgotten about. And and I like the elements of the fact that one piece of work can be seen not only in so many different places but with so many different people. Like the amount of kind of group shows that I've had that have united me with such interesting people and the conversations that have been born out of it and it's introduced me to other people's work. Um, I think that I really enjoy that world and I, and I always have, you know, um, especially, you know, when I used to paint, I used to... I used to really immerse myself in that. And I think that was always, you know, my area of interest. And then as I took up photography, I guess I fell more into documentary and psychology. So I would never say that I would pigeonhole myself into one area of art or one area of photography. I would just say that, you know, I like to play, I like to learn, um, and I like to produce imagery. Um, And however that's received, um, as long as it's, kind of thought provoking and, and or make somebody feel something, then, you know, that's always for me nice, I guess. Yeah. I think that when it when it comes to exhibiting your work, that it creates a different relationship to you and your work because you're having to think about it in a different context. Like you mentioned, when it's for editorial, you know, it's going to end up in some publication and then, you know, 30 days later or a week later, it's been replaced by another publication and largely forgotten. And if you do it for commercial work, you, it's for an advertisement that's going to appear somewhere. Yeah. But when it comes to doing an exhibit, for example, you have to look at your work in completely, I think, slightly... well. Yeah, completely sort of different terms, because you're thinking about, okay, how does a select number of images from this body of work, whether it's a retrospective or whether it's a singular project, and how do you sort of look at it from the eye of, okay, these are going to be 22 prints that are going to be on the wall that people, I want people to experience it a certain way. And I'm wondering how that process makes you sort of alter the way that you approach and look at them. I think it makes me really uncomfortable because I really dislike editing and looking at my work. I find it really difficult. I never create the work with an intention. So having to do that is actually really challenging because it's not like I'm going, right, I'm going to produce 20 images and these are how they're going to sit together and these are how they're going to sequence and this is the narrative that they're going to tell. Um, It's more kind of an afterthought and, you know, I rely on the curators for that and I, I kind of... I think one of the best shows that I've done was actually um, with my gallery, um, Francesca Maffio. And the reason that I feel like that was a success was because instead of just, you know, her saying to me, okay, this is how we're going to do it. She sat down and she interviewed me about the work for hours. And she said, okay, so why did you do this? And why did you do that? And where did this idea come from? And tell me more about this. And then she curated the show as a response to that. So it was almost like she just understood why I was doing it and my process by speaking to me and then took upon it herself to have, you know, to use her skill set to kind of form a narrative out of that 
that was a reflection of how I felt, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, and I think that I'm very lucky to have those kinds of people around me. Um, And I think that also it's a really important process to kind of get that feedback and, you know, experience the idea of looking at your work in that way. And I think that everyone has a very, very different perspective on that. So, for example, I, I... heard a photographer speak recently and he was talking about making a book and he was saying how when you're creating a book you have to have kind of like fill in images or images that break it up and I heavily disagree um I'm not an expert on book sequencing um but if I was to publish you know a book of say for example the Romanian work I know that I wouldn't want to I mean I probably never will be able to publish it because I'd want every image to stand alone I'd want every image to be a a print on a wall, you know. I'd Mm. want every image to have its own story and its own space. I wouldn't want it to be there just for the point of a pause, I guess. I gotcha. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, I know who I'd like you to interview because I'd like to hear the answers. Does that count? Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Do you think you could get hold of Nan Golden? Oh, I would love to. Oh. Yeah, I think I would love to hear from Nan Golden. I think that would really interest me. Um, and why is that? Because I haven't really heard her speak about her work much, and she was always quite a, um, a big influence on me. Yeah. Well, that's a great suggestion, and hopefully I'll keep my fingers crossed at all. Get to cross and it's not come back to me because I have a huge list of people that uh, that I'm sure would, in fact, I know would make great um, great people to speak with. That's another thing about the photographic community that's amazing is that it um, it means that you kind of become part of this community of really really fascinating individuals. So yeah, I have many many friends that would um, I'm sure love to talk to you. Well, Laura, thank you so much for making the time for us. It really was a joy to talk with you. No, it's lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us and to Laura for sharing her time and her story. To find out more about her work, visit laurapanic.com. And by the way, I'll be traveling in Europe during the coming weeks, and I'll be conducting some informal meetups in London and Paris. Details are still being worked out, but to keep up with me, follow me on Twitter or Facebook. I hope to see some of you there. And thank you for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations like the one you heard today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and the candid frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on the donate button on the candid frame website or the show notes. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. It's the fastest and most convenient way to hear and save any of the great interviews we present here at TCF. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, the show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter 
and Instagram at simply at ebodyandx. And this is ebodyandx, and this is The Candid Frame. <music>